podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. The year is 2020. I'm feeling good. I don't know about you, but I am oh so ready for all of us to absolutely make the most of this year. It feels like such a mammoth break since I last recorded on here. But first things first, Happy New Year. I hope you all had such an amazing, well-deserved break over the Christmas holidays and are feeling rested, refreshed and raring to go. I don't know about you lot, but my alarm on Monday morning was really rather painful after two weeks of completely slobbing out and doing whatever I want. Eating lots, drinking lots. I had a little trip up to Edinburgh, went to the Peak District, lots of fresh air. I really want to do it all over again, to be honest. However, I've downed my coffee, I've got my new notebook, and I'm so, so happy to be back and feel genuinely, genuinely excited for what's to come this year. Not just for She Can, She Did and my plans for this business, but for all of you as well and your plans for your businesses too. I feel like if we all club together and make a deal that 2020 is going to be our year girls we can't go wrong we're all going to smash our years smash our goals etc etc basically i'm determined to make it a good one <laughs> anyway i'm rambling i know i recorded today's episode back in october last year as it happens and then the last midweek jingle roadshow of the year took off and it was put on the back burner for a bit note to self be more organized with the podcast this year but i've decided to kick the year off with this one as quite frankly some of the advice that julia comes out with throughout this episode hasn't left my mind since recording this episode because it's so bloody powerful and in my opinion is the perfect episode to kickstart the series once again this year. Having studied cognitive science followed by a master's in social psychology at Brown University in the States, Julia Frank is a self-employed business psychologist based in London and the straight-talking, phenomenally intelligent founder of Let Me Be Frank, a company that through one-to-one coaching, workshops and in-house training helps individuals, teams and organisations identify the root cause of the challenges that they face and develop a concrete and tangible action plan to help overcome said challenges thereafter. As a self-confessed geek, which I always have a huge amount of respect for, who loves to learn new things, Julia opens up about the challenges of learning to outsource and not wear every hat as a founder, which may or may not include a rather amusing teething problem she encountered when she tried to teach herself how to use Google Ads. We also discuss why credibility is so ridiculously important in a world where anyone can claim to be an expert in anything online nowadays, and how, as a service-based business with no network in London when she moved here. She approached marketing her skills and said credibility whilst actively building a supportive network of friends who are always on standby and willing to challenge her. Plus, she offers some seriously powerful advice for all of us on how we can all better manage stress, rewire our brains and deal with our inner critic, which let's face it, we all have on a day-to-day basis that if you're anything like me, will hopefully inspire you. Basically, I genuinely got so much out of recording this episode and hope you find it given that it's the first episode back for 2020 to be a really worthwhile natter for you too. I mean, you know how I start. Do you want to just explain what your business is all about and we will ramble away from there? Yeah, perfect. So my name's Julia. I run a business called Let Me Be Frank, which is a play on my last name. And it's a consultancy kind of taking evidence-based strategies and tips and tricks kind of thing to like help people improve their work performance and achieve moral being in their life. And overall, my vision was always to take kind of 
research um, and make it more accessible for people to be able to implement in their day to day life. Yeah, which I love. And we had a good, I mean, when did we meet? Like, it was earlier this year, right? I think actually last year, late last, maybe? Well, when we were for coffee? I think, was it this no, year? No, that has to Time is going so fast, I, I don't oh remember. Oh my gosh. Well, we basically, like, to set the scene for everyone mm -hmm. listening, the idea was that I was looking for something to open the mingles with, wasn't mm -hmm. it? But I only had 10 minutes, and I wanted you to kind of work your magic on all of us, and then realise that. You need a bit longer than that, don't yeah. we? So here we are. And so this podcast, I feel like it's going to be a bit different because I want to know your story, but mm -hmm. I'm also so intrigued from those tips and tricks because <laughs> I need them. <laughs> well, I think we all do. Yeah, you saw it. Like I mean, this is why you're so good. You bought me a blooming coffee. Like, it just, I arrived to everything so flustered. And then you just kind of hand over your oat milk latte. You've got everything. I love it. Yeah, I mean, happy to kind of share, yeah. share things as, as we keep yeah, going. I feel like I need to be more Julia. That's going to be my uh, goal from now on. Right. Let's start with where the idea came from, because what I love about you is that you're a bit of a geek, and I love that. Yes, so you've got very geek. outwardly. Yeah. <laughs> I have a whole lot of respect for geeks. Uh, basically, you've done the work, you've done mm -hmm. the research behind it to be able to do what you do, mm -hmm. and that's why I respect you, because I think it's so easy nowadays to kind of call yourself any kind of title, market yourselves online as anything, but actually you've got the kind of... Mm -hmm credibility and it kind of came out of a frustration of that credibility so kind of to give a little bit of background I studied cognitive science and then did a master's in psychology at both at Brown University in the, in the US and I was always dead set into going into academia I was like I'm going to do a PhD I you know had spent five years in research and I was like I love this and the further I got into it the more I kind of realized that this knowledge that we were researching and creating was really then written up and presented to other people who had degrees who had masters or PhDs and yes you know, these articles are accessible online, like you can physically access them, but actually being able to read them, being able to digest them, being able to figure out, is that a good research study or is it not? Does this actually apply to me? Kind of takes a little bit of just knowing what you're looking for and being able to digest that. And I got this, I remember some of the articles I used to read at, at uni, and I mm -hmm. just think the an academic writing, it's, it's a different language. You yeah, know, it's kind of, you write for other academics and it's, yeah. it's for your kind of average Joe on the street. It's, mm -hmm. it's a different ball game, you know? Yeah, and you have to be like in the right mindset to kind mm -hmm. of get into it. And, and so the longer I spent into it and kind of contemplating, do I really want to do a PhD or not? I realized like, actually, I really want to take some of this and be able to apply it. And the flip side of it, I then started working for a startup in the mental health tech space, and they were very young, didn't have a name. I was kind of like, you know, project manager, went into it, and there it was all about the bottom line. Can we get investment? Like, they had done a friends and family round, but it was kind of like, the sp it was all about speed and not necessarily about like, hold on, wait a minute, do we actually know if we did this 100% right? And yeah. if we actually put in the research that we needed to. And I kind of, what I do now kind of came out of the frustration of both being like, okay, so one in my opinion, is kind of keeping that knowledge. The metaphor there is like in the ivory tower, and the other is kind of just running with it and, and having a speed and being able to move really, really quickly, but not really knowing if you're actually validating it enough. And so that's where I became really interested in the intersection of the two. And it took me a while to kind of get to that point because I never really intended to, to have a business. Like, it just kind of grew organically where both my parents are self-employed. So I never had this model of like a traditional job and a traditional yeah. mortgage and, oh, and really wage and, and it yeah. rubs off, doesn't it? And it so rubs off and it was funny because it rubbed off the other way where I was like, I will have a steady income. Like there's like a, <laughs> somebody interviewed me when I was like eight or something like a friend and was like, oh, so what do you want? And I was like a stuff, you know, sustainable like <laughs> income. And both my parents were like, where? Yeah. <laughs> 
And then kind of going into that, I was like, no, actually, I like, I really like the startups and I wanted to, you know, when you're straight out of uni, like you go into the real world and you're like, oh, I don't actually have any skills that like, like I had a lot of analytical skills and a lot of research skills, but I didn't have any hard skills of like, can somebody create that, you know, web design or something like that. So I went into graphic design, studied three months, like full term graphic design, which is meant to change your career. I never intended to change my career. I never intended to retrain. I was just like, okay, I need more skills to be able to apply for startups to then be able to kind of move into the role that I wanted to. Yeah. And that's how it kind of started. So um, I think that's quite, that's very, I don't think that's by accident. That's quite strategic. Yeah. Doing it like that. Most people just kind of go in and sort of be like, shit, I can't design anything. Like, well, what do I do? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, I think that's, yeah. Really but I never like, I never considered. had this moment of like, oh, I'm going to start a business. It was more like, okay, what skills do I need? And then in Germany, so I'm actually born and raised in Germany. The accent's very deceiving. <laughs> but in Germany, you need to register if you didn't study. But like, if you want to do a job that you haven't studied, because I didn't study graphic design in a master's program, I had to register as essentially a sole trader. And then when I moved to London, I was like, all right, right, so I guess I need to do a limited here. <laughs> it, never even, <laughs> it never even crossed my mind that I could also be a sole trader here yeah, yeah. and just freelance. And then kind of out of that, I was like, oh, I have a company and like, oh, I actually want to go back into psychology and, and I much prefer, because I kind of fell into kind of a train of thought here. I don't know if it's really easy to follow, but because I had done psychology and because I had done design and I was really interested in kind of the startup world and being able to implement and kind of being able to really help individuals, I fell into user experience design, which is yeah. kind of right in, in the middle of that and was There's helping. so much psychology in that. So that? much psychology, yeah. so much understanding human behavior yeah. and designing for humans. And the majority of my clients were individuals who had a startup idea and want to kind of figure out, okay, can I prototype this? So it was like product-based, digital product-based, but can I prototype this? What are the user journeys? What is, you know, the focus group, kind of the research? Like, do I actually have something here that people would be interested in it? And how can I turn that idea into a reality? And what I actually found through that process, I did that for about a year and a half, is that I was much more interested in the conversations I was having and the consulting and the coaching I was doing, in particular around, because I'm a female, like a lot of my clients were female and kind of, this whole idea of like, oh, I don't really feel ready or, oh, I don't know if I should, kind of similar to what you were really interested in. And I much enjoyed those conversations. And so I was like, okay, no, I really just want to focus on that. To me, it was just a, I never intended to leave psychology. I was always doing psychology. But it's funny when other people kind of see careers as something really linear and they're like, oh, so you studied psychology and then you're like doing graphic design and user experience design, like completely different. I'm like, no. No. We're designing for yes. humans. It's still so the same. Okay, so when you set up Let Me Be Frank, mm-hmm. what was the kind of blueprint for that? Like, how did you define it, or what did you define it as at the early days? Do you know what I mean? Cause yeah. it's definitely evolved a bit, hasn't it? So yeah. So I I started off kind of having a limited company, registered one with an accountant. I mean, you don't need to, but I was just like. You're just so on it. I do this so backwards, but yeah. I like had an accountant set up the limited, kind of figured out, you know, kind of that legal stuff around it. And then my my initial thing was more just being able to legally be allowed to do kind of consulting. Um, and I trained as a as an NLP practitioner and as a coach as well, just to kind of have that background and just feel more comfortable kind of in having those one-on-one actual conversations rather than like, you know, being hired as a coach rather than having a conversation that Where kind of comes study? out. So I did I did all my undergrad and, and oh, um, masters at Brown, and then I did it. It was there's like a company in in London they call like Inspire Three Sixty. <laughs> Inspire Three Sixty, and they're like I was specifically interested in NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming, of like how we talk and how the way that we 
see ourselves and relate to the world and that's how that's creating our kind of reality and how we can unravel that. The thing is, is what, this is what I respect though, is that I've, I think I told you when we went for coffee, I get really, my back comes up when someone describes themselves as a coach. Mm -hmm. I'm immediately like, mm, okay, are they credible? That's mm -hmm. my instant like thought process. Are they credible? Because to me, I think I could give a good little bit of advice. If, someone's, mm -hmm. if, if someone asked, I'd kind of sit them down and try and stay as neutral as I could. But I, I've never ever, I always say I'm not an expert. And I think there's such a difference between being able to kind of offer advice or kind of help or, you know, if people on your on your level say mm -hmm. or someone that you can relate to it's a completely different ball game if someone has circumstances completely different to mm -hmm. anything you've ever seen before and they come to you or, or something like mm -hmm. that and being able to offer a credible service and i think that that's where training really does come in handy with things like this is that it's people's lives that you're dealing with do you know mm -hmm. what i mean and if they're paying you for a service there needs to be some kind of yeah you know <laughs> no I, and right. i do and i think with with coaching is an interesting one and like the whole wellness and well-being industry now is is quite interesting because yeah there's a lot of life coaches out there anyone can call themselves a coach I don't refer to myself as a coach I refer to myself as business psychologist because to me coaching isn't just giving advice like no matter how much I study no matter how old I am no matter how much experience I am I'm never going to be an expert in every single life circumstance because people are so different yeah. and that's what I love about and it is so and life is so complicated and so to me, what coaching really is, is having somebody there that has a set of uh, questioning techniques or a set of just, because you're your expert, right? You're the expert in your life and it's just a matter of asking the right questions at the right point for you to be able to have those insights and those aha moments. It's not that I am giving you that one sentence that is yeah, gonna yeah. turn into the aha, it's, it's just essentially just a questioning technique and just knowing how to support someone and how to phrase things and a lot of it is trial and error right like a lot of the and I'm very open about this is like some tools work really great for some people and some don't but it's just it's this like journey of trying it out together and being like okay you tried that that didn't work you tried this that worked yeah and how long was that course then? how long did that kind of period of prepping for, for the business I mean, I, I was one of those people who did a course in everything and anything. I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> yep. I'd be like, digital marketing, great. I need to like study yeah. this. And, have a, and literally anything and everything, which is definitely not something I recommend. Like there's, this is where outsourcing, um, it's something yeah. that you've touched upon, but like sometimes it's just because you, just because you can do something doesn't mean you, you should, should do it. Yeah. And so I'd say over a period of, say a year and a half, it wasn't like continuous study, it was like doing a workshop there and a course there and, and part of what I was really interested in is how other retreats are led, how mm -hmm. other coaches kind of work and so I, I've had a lot of coaching myself and I've had gone to a lot of retreats and I've you know tried sort of the more mindfulness side of it and the more evidence-based side of it. It's interesting right because if you have a physical product you have a physical product but if you are kind of the product and the service it's a lot more difficult. It's also limiting in some ways because you know, there's only so many hours in the day. And so what well, I've been really interested in being like, okay, like who else is out there? Who, what other experts can I bring on board? How can we can essentially, I don't need to be the person for everything. Yeah. It's just a matter of knowing enough about 
an industry or knowing enough about sort of a different area that I could then be able to say, yes, this person is really great. And it comes with credibility, right? Like nutritionists nowadays or like anything in the like health and well-being space. I want to be in a position where I know enough to be able to vet someone, be able to be like, yes, they are really good, but I don't need to know enough about it or need to be kind of educated enough about it to be able to do it myself. I can then have someone. So kind of seeing it as more of a holistic consultancy, essentially. marketing yourself given that you're new to like you're new to London as well mm-hmm. you're launching this business I'm guessing I don't know what was your network like in London when you moved over uh, no not really existed yeah okay. <laughs> how did you go about getting your brand out there and obviously pushing the fact that there's some credibility behind it as mm-hmm. well to distinguish you against you know every man and his dog that calls himself a coach yeah so I think it's because I kind of had that background of being freelance in design and helping startups my approach there was I went to every single networking event and I didn't like it and wasn't very successful and essentially because I think my approach to it was like you go into these things being like there's an end goal and Mm -hmm. whenever there's an end goal it never it never really works out (laughs) and I was just running myself into the ground saying yes to every single coffee and every single opportunity so when I kind of came into this and was like, okay, no, I'm going to have this set of workshops and I'm going to I'm going to go into sort of um, into companies. So it's like very different clientele, right? Because like on one hand, the one-to-one coaching is, is you're actually talking to your clients. Whereas if I do workshops, it's typically through a manager that hires me in a company, but I'm actually not talking to the person who then ends yeah. up having the service. Yeah. And I want to talk about this because I was like, great, I'm going to set up Instagram. I'm going to have my newsletter because everyone has Instagram and a newsletter. And I realized very quickly that I'm like, this is not where my audience is yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to go nowhere because these executive managers and managers aren't going to be looking on Instagram for their like next business coach, right? And so I, I do not recommend this at all. I ran, <laughs> I ran Google ads. I was like, the backstory to that is, is I was in Lisbon at the Web Summit, which is like a tech conference, and I had just kind of rebranded to Let Me Be Frank. I started off as Frank Consulting, which felt a little bit kind of too serious. People kind of expected, the new one. yeah, <laughs> expected something else, and I, I felt like a little bit restricted, and so decided to rebrand was in Lisbon at this like massive tech conference and was like, right, if people Google me in Lisbon, they're not gonna find me because my website's so new. And so I decided to run Google ads on my website in Lisbon if somebody Googles me so they could find me for those like three days. And then I was like, hmm, well, might as well run some for London. <laughs> this is why I don't recommend this because Google ads is amazing, but you need to like really understand it because otherwise you're just throwing money down the drain. Yeah. But I kind of knew that I was like, okay, I'm gonna invest some money into just learning this tool. And what happened is twofold is, A, I, I got people like inquiring to being like, I, you know, I'm a coach, I'm interested in this. And I also had some companies actually inquire that like looking for kind of HR department looking for mm-hmm. somebody to deliver these workshops around resilience and stress management. But I also came up for coaches, like buses from London to Manchester. <laughs> so I was like, so it's these things that like, I just didn't uh, think through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> minor. So it like paid like twelve ninety nine for like people yeah, looking yeah. for buses. <laughs> yeah. So, so AdWords, because, because it's like very kind of going back to having that knowledge and user experience, right? It's like, what are people looking for and where are people looking 
for it. And that has been really helpful. And then kind of doing work for free. And this one's, I think, an interesting one, right? Because we're like, you shouldn't do any work for free. You should really know your worth and you should really kind of, and I think there's a balance with that because I've done work plenty of times where I've been completely underpaid. I just said yes because I needed the money and I feel used. But to me, when you start a business, the only thing you have is to invest is time, right? And so... I did a lot of like cold emailing to events that I really wanted to get my name in and I didn't get paid for those speaking events or those workshops that I delivered but to me that was an investment that was me getting my name out there. I'm a hundred percent with you on this and it's the same with me. I've spoken at events and I've only been paid for one because that brand literally said we're paying you for this. I didn't Mm -hmm. bring it up and it was like I genuinely was so bewildered that they I didn't do you know what I mean? I, like, mm-hmm. I would have done that for free because to me there's a value in that and I think that it's, it's, I've had this discussion with so many women. I didn't earn anything for 10, 11 months, which she can, she did and I don't regret that at all because to me it's like there's value, what you define as value. It doesn't have to be restricted to money. Does that make sense? Like I think it gets such a bashing nowadays about how you have to know your worth and I think absolutely 100% but there's definitely especially at the beginning where you have to kind of grit your teeth prove yourself and there's value that can come down and it's also like testing yourself too yeah 100% so I do think nowadays there's such a massive focus on know your worth charge every single penny if you want to say that you're worth two grand an hour and you believe it then absolutely go for it and I just kind of think 100% 100% but not on day one mm-hmm. like you need to prove yourself do you yeah. know what I mean yeah it's also it's also one of those things where it's like the workshops that I delivered three years ago are very different from the workshops mm-hmm. I deliver now there is something that's quite interesting though from a psychological perspective because if you don't pay for something you don't value it so when I said you know when I did things for free the end user didn't necessarily know whether or not I was doing it for free because I obviously at the very beginning when I started coaching I did them for free as well and you know you kind of you do those things but then I realized that when people receive coaching for free no matter how good you are people don't value it yeah. as much if there's no investment and I people would cancel last minute and I still had to pay for the room yeah. right so I still had like I still had a cost yeah. And so I've there is these podcasts when you make a room and then someone cancels, you're like, really? <laughs> and <laughs> so it's, yeah, so it's this like, it's this balance of making sure that you're, again, because the only thing you can really invest in is time at that moment. And so like being able to do that, but also making sure that you then, because you're doing it for free, don't get kind of used and, and jerked around because of it, yeah, which is a fine balance, I think, yeah. to find. But again, it all comes, to me, it's all part of the process of running a business is that you kind of gain that experience and then you can charge and mm-hmm. you can openly charge and you know your worth. But I do think that, yeah, there's definitely, again, it's that teething like um, period of time where you are tweaking and you're learning about yourself and Mm -hmm. your boundaries and it is just all part of the process yeah so talk me through what it felt like getting those first few clients on board as your own boss like Mm -hmm. this is your brand now how quickly did things take off I suppose this is the you know because you you always see that like hockey stick diagram where they're like oh you know it's gonna be like a really slow start and then like yeah. To me, it's more like a like a I don't know like a wave or something like that, yeah, and the listeners that. can't actually see me like moving yeah. my hands here. But when I when I ran these these Google ads at the very very beginning when I started, I literally did it to like test the water to kind of see okay does this work. Mm. I was not actually set up like I didn't have any of the structure in place to actually 
have like coach someone or have someone in or deliver these workshops like I had built kind of the structure and obviously had like decided what kind of products I would offer in, in terms of these workshops but I didn't have the contracts in place and somebody inquired and I was like oh my god and I like had this panic I was in Lisbon I wasn't in London and I had this panic of like I don't have a room I don't have insurance I don't have contracts yet like all of those things and within 48 hours remotely I essentially just found all those things and was like great okay so like if this is happening and like I didn't even know how like you know discovery calls like sales calls all of this I had like no idea so it was like you know that metaphor when people are like yeah you're just kind of laying down the tracks as the train comes So, so part of so part of that process. But I was just like panicked for like forty eight hours, and then in that in that panic, I was like, oh my god, this is too much. I need an assistant. So I also decided to hire an assistant at that same time. Was like interviewing from Lisbon. But yeah, so kind of like things took off quicker than expected. But then there's been also like quite lulls because it's it's so directly. To some extent, it's how much energy you put in is kind of how, what you get out. So when I actively, like, push, there's been quite kind of dense periods. And then when I'm more like, okay, I want to, like, revisit the strategy and I want to revisit kind of the content and, and work on that, nobody's out there kind of hustling for you. And so it's been a process where, you know, I plant a lot of seeds and I make sure I water a lot of seeds, but, like, which ones grow, I, I, I never know. yeah. I think that's something that really took me by surprise, or at least I just didn't I just didn't think about it when I launched this, is that you launch a business and then it's like it's game on from mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't stop, it's relentless, you know, yeah. you have to just keep going and you drop a ball and it's like you'll notice when that ball drops because suddenly things dip and it's yeah it's constant isn't it yeah when those lulls do crop up how do you deal with that mentally in terms of when things are quiet given that it is again service-based it's all you it's on your shoulders and what's your advice I suppose for other service-based businesses because it's a common common theme yeah I think I mean you get these sort of more natural lulls like December and January and then you get these peaks which are like mental health awareness week or, or kind of weeks where people are really focused on getting people in but in the lulls I'd say you know there's been plenty of things where like I still do some user research stuff where like I just I see it as diversifying income streams right where it's yeah. like at the end of the day like if those lulls come up I will find something else it's one of those things where I'm like I'm quite flexible in approach and being like okay well then you know for that kind of month I'll do I'll do something else yeah but then also I think when you're used to kind of having and bills are regular right so they come every month and if you don't have a a similar (laughs) similar income every month and so I'm more seeing it as an average and more being like really conscious about being like okay I had a really good month I'm going to put that away rather than being like oh I can reinvest that being like okay I'm going to put that away because I know like December and January a little bit quieter so those are kind of the, the two things of like so true like with she can she did every quarter I get a chunk of money but I don't get anything in mm-hmm. like the next two months do you know what I mean so it's making sure that it's you're kind of thinking ahead like it's and also I don't know about you but I really had to when I switched over from a sole trader to limited company I really struggled with that the fact that a limited company it's not your money it's a business yeah <laughs> and it's like when you're a sole trader you can just the money comes in you can put it back into the business and then you can just pay your bills really like do you know what I mean and whereas limited company it's like oh god no like when you take money out to pay your bills it's making sure that you know it's, yeah it's, it's, it's not your money <laughs> it's been really interesting because that, so that's different. one of the things because my parents were self uh, are 
still self-employed, but always were. Even when I wasn't, it was this whole thing of like, always put 20% aside for tax, that's not your money. So that was something that was, I was so fortunate, because I was like, I did remember the first account, and I was like, oh, okay, wow, like that was good that I put that aside. But yeah, it's this whole thing of like, okay, calculating like, wait a minute, like how much can I, pay myself how much can like how much needs to stay in the business what are some of the like annual spendings that I have one of what are some of the monthly spendings because a lot of like the month-to-month -month spending some of them especially if you're outsourcing you can kind of dial down but other costs like people don't I didn't realize how expensive it was to have a business like it's super easy because there's the internet and you can get anything nowadays yeah. but like every service is now subscription-based and, <laughs> and it will charge you yes they say true podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Let's move on to the challenges. We've roughly just like, touched on a mm -hmm. few, but I'm really interested, as you know, Rishi Kesh did, like, this is a bit for me that's the most important bit to kind mm -hmm. of show that everyone has them and everyone's pushing through them in their own way, shape or form. So mm -hmm. what have you found to be the hardest hat to wear since launching your own business over here? And how have those challenges evolved since day one as, as the business has become a bit more established, it's grown? Yeah, I think the most challenging hat to wear is to not wear a hat because I am someone who's like, oh, I can do the accounts and like, like the only thing I, that I 100% know I can't do is the legal stuff. So I was always like, okay, I'll have an accountant and a lawyer, but like I edited my own movies and, and like I was, I write my own, like there's so many things where I was just like, it would come and I was like, amazing, I'll teach myself how to do Google ads. Like mm, maybe somebody else should have done that. But like, I think one of the main learnings I had there was to just be okay with the fact that I'm not the person to do that and to be able to give that to someone else. And as I've evolved, because I'm service-based, it's this, and you've, you've kind of talked to other guests on the podcast about this as well, is this kind of challenge of, all right, like in order to grow, I need to bring more people on board and have more hands on deck. But in order to have more hands on deck, I need to earn more. But in order to earn more, I need to have more hands on deck. And it's like this like yeah. constant... Yeah, it's like constant circle of, okay, what would it mean to actually scale? And there's been a couple of times, so typically the workshops I do are, I go into big corporations like Fortune 500 companies and deliver on their behalf. So I like, I never had to worry about who's there, is there a room, like all of that was done for me. And then I did my, I started doing my own workshops where I organized everything. And you know, you, you know this all too well with your mingles, like, oh my God, I need glasses. Yeah. And like, all of uh, these little things. <laughs> but I was I really- I got the Keynes really quick, really quick. Uh, the Milton Keynes midweek mingle, like last, when was it, September. They had a bar at the venue and a kitchen. And I just naturally thought we'd have access to it because I've just never, never not, you know? Yeah and got there, everything was locked up, and guests were supposed to arrive in about an hour, and I had to, Chloe, the, my amazing photographer, she she was off to Tesco's buying, not like, a chopping knife so we could just chop garnishes. You know, and you're like, I did not sign up for this. Like, you're like, I didn't sign up for this at all. Like, yeah. why didn't I, why didn't I just check that? <laughs> but sorry, carry yeah, on. Yeah, no, so, so there's like, th these aspects, but I was, I was, I got really ill. I like, had a fever the night before. I felt horrendous, and like, the morning of, and I really had this like, lull of, there's no one to step in, right? Like, if I cancel this event like 
I, I am making a loss regardless because it was kind of the first one that I ran, but I was like, I have to pay everyone back and everyone's going to be disappointed. And, and I did it regardless. And I think one of the challenges specifically with the service is like, you know, not to get to down on it, but I was like, wow, if some, God forbid, something happens to me, then that's the business. The vision I had was always to kind of have more holistic consultancy of being able to, like you said, it's so difficult to know if someone knows their stuff, if someone actually is any good, especially in personal development, it's so personal, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of personal development. Like if you get someone, can you refer them to the right person, the right coach, the right personality? And it was always something that was gonna be kind of bigger than myself. And the challenge is just kind of flipping to that, getting to that point where you're like, okay, I, I have a network and, and I do the referrals, but like setting up that business side of things and how do you actually kind of move into being a bigger name and being able to like have people on board as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll come on to that. I just really want to pick up on what you just said. How do you make sure that you're looking after yourself given that it is... It's literally, it's, 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 it's you. And also like you're, you're part of what you do is like about mental health and all, all yeah. of that kind of thing and like looking after yourself and being the best version of yourself, all of that. When it's you, like how, yeah. how do you make it's, sure it's a you It's a really funny one because, you know, like mm -hmm. Mental Health Awareness Week is one of those weeks that is like the most stressful week for like yeah. people yeah. in the mental health industry. Yeah. And it's something I still struggle with because you know that quote where everyone's like, if you do what you love, you'll you never work, work a day, day in your life. life. But what people don't tell you is that if you do what you love for work, you will literally work every day of your life. Yeah. Like you said at the beginning, I'm, yeah. I'm such like a geek and I'm a nerd and I own it. And like, I used to just love to it's read these thing. psychology books. And I meant that in the back. No, no, I, I take I it as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, my free time, I would read all these psychology books and I'd listen to all these podcasts and I would, you know, take courses from whoever now does an online course. Like, I've literally probably done it. And now that work as well. Yeah. So I'm currently actually casting hobbies. I'm like trying out different <laughs> hobbies. So I went, <laughs> there's a process. Yeah. There's another friend who, one of my one of my close friends, he runs a business as well. And we're, we're doing this together. So we went floating. We went to those sensory deprivation chambers wow. which is interesting you just kind of float with your thoughts for an hour <laughs> um, we're going bouldering like we're like I'm, I'm essentially actively trying to find things that I said rock climbing yeah that yeah. I also can't turn into a business because I used to screen I print I feel like you're gonna start rock climbing and then be like I think we can incorporate it into the workshops so genuinely about a challenge and get to the top there's a metaphor yeah. we can incorporate yeah so I did that with other hobbies so I used to screen print um, which which is where you essentially push ink through a sieve and you can like screen print on paper and on textiles. And I loved it because it was this like you design something and you have something physical and like, you know, a lot of what I did when I when it was doing user experience design is like there's nothing tangible, there's nothing physical. And I just loved actually physically also being exhausted at the end of the day. And then I was like, hmm. I could do merch. And then like 400 screen printed tote bags later, I was like, well, there goes my hobby. <laughs> oh dear. Yep. But you know, in terms of like taking care of myself, I've, I was thinking about this actually a couple of days ago when you see those like hashtag living my best life and you see that with like the most random ones, right? It can be some people are like sitting on the beach and some people are in like in a onesie chugging a beer. And to me, it's like eight hours of sleep, probiotics in the morning, I'm not, like very great at exercise. I really try to exercise, but like walking. So yeah, like yeah. if I can walk through like a park or something like that, even like 30 minutes. So it's a very unsexy living my best life, but it's like, that's do me. I eat three meals yeah. a day? Do I drink yeah. water? Like Honest to God, that's me. It's exercise, sleep, good food, mm -hmm. good company. 
done. Yeah, like and at the right times too, yeah. like eating. Just good to me. It's like a, it's like lifestyle, isn't it? It's just consistently like, just making sure that don't get me wrong. There's periods where, it, obviously, with running a business, I do genuinely think there's obviously going to be concentrated periods of stress. Like, mm-hmm. I just personally think, well, it depends on the business, but I know that for me, there's always going to be. But if those basics are consistent, you can kind of manage it. Yeah, you know? it's like just approaching it. Like game one, yeah. new day. <laughs> yep, and that and that's the thing is I also had to learn is that when I first started, I was like, this is great, I've got so much flexibility, and I was just running around like a headless chicken, like commuting in London, like London is such a massive city, mm. and now it's just like, I need a physical, like I literally will leave the house with my fiance, he, go, he works in a corporation, like we'll leave the house with him, and then I will close the computer when he's, when he's done, and it's like one of those things where it's like really conscious about separation yeah. of it, and just having a different environment that I work in because I just don't get that much done at, at home because I'm like, oh, this needs to be fixed and this yeah. needs to be done. And then like an hour later, you're like, what did I actually just do? Yeah, so, 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 so true. To, uh, speaking of fiancé, congratulations. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, how have your relationships evolved throughout this whole process, being your own boss in terms of, like you said, when you love your job, you are working a lot. Anything, any noticeable differences as a business has grown like relationships swung either way better or worse yeah I mean I've always been really fortunate that I'm really close with my parents and they've always been incredibly supportive so I've always been incredibly kind of fortunate with that and my fiance is is very supportive of it as well and he's kind of my biggest critic but also my my largest supporter which I which I think is is exactly what you need, right? You need someone being like, okay, well, do you actually think this is a good yeah, idea? Yeah. Like, it's it's great. Oh God, you couldn't have a yes, yes. person. No. Like, yes, it's perfect. Yes, no, that would, not. that would not fly. And that's, I don't have, like, all my friends are like that too, like, yeah. very, di- I mean, my company's called Let Me Be Frank. And in, in terms of relationships, I think it's an interesting one because when it comes to, like, romantic relationships, we acknowledge breakups and we kind of, like, acknowledge that that person is grieving. But I think what we don't really acknowledge is, like, when friendships kind of fall apart. Mm-hmm. And... Something I've found is that I have an incredibly supportive network, but I've had to actively create it. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, I'm, I'm, I love all my friends and, you know, I'm so fortunate, but my fiance wouldn't be my fiance if he wasn't supportive. And I mm-hmm. had like, before we even started dating, I had like actively sat down a bunch of like n- not great relationships and was like, right, what do I actually want from a relationship? What do I actually need from a partner to be able to like have this work and similarly with with friends like it's been really difficult but there's a couple of friends where I was just like I was just noticing feeling really drained after a conversation or like you spend the entire day doing something and then you have those two or three hours at the end of the and at the end of the day and then I'd be like and I just they didn't ask me any questions they're not genuinely interested or I don't know if you felt like this you start a business and all of a sudden everyone's an expert in running a small business and everyone's like, oh, you need to do X, Y, Z and you need to do this and do that. I and, then, yeah. and you're like, do right, I. okay. But yeah, so I, I kind of, it's something that I've had to, and I encourage everyone to like actively kind of create, you know, this whole thing like you, you are an average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And yeah. it's so true. And it's, there's this, I don't actually know where it originated, but one of these like things is don't should all over yourself. So do the things that you want and need to do, but not the things that you should do. And so that's something I've really taken to heart kind of as the business has evolved because there's so many things where I was like, oh, I should really go to this event or that or this and do this networking that, you know, every opportunity say yes, because like you never know what's around the corner. 
and I've, yeah, I've actively kind of, to get back to your question of support, I have an amazing support system that I really value because they will tell me like yeah, very yeah. straight up and direct being like, this is not a good idea, this is a good idea. It's, but. Such, it's a really interesting topic though, and it's why I always ask, because I think that some people, like I was, I feel like at the time, like you said, you acknowledge relationship breakdowns, but friendship ones, when they go, I had um, a friendship breakdown that honestly felt like a relationship breakdown when it, when it happened, about four or five years ago, so before mm -hmm. she can, she did. And um, because it just got to a point where, I guess, not to go into too much detail, but I felt like I was trying to progress in mm -hmm. career and was constantly being held back and that, like that negative draining, mm -hmm. like, yeah. And I remember walking away from that and genuinely, like, grieving about the fact that, like, mm -hmm. I'd had to kind of cut that off. But I'm so grateful for walking away from that before I launched She Can, She Did, because I'm so aware that I think that had I still been in that friendship group when I launched She Can, She Did, I would have found it so much harder to get off the ground because I would have had that, mm -hmm. that constantly being dragged back. That, that's why I talk about it, because I do think that like you have to really, really think about who you're surrounding yourself mm -hmm. with when you launch a business, because it is such a, there's just so many, there's so many challenges, like so many parts to launching a business and like the challenges it puts on you, the emotional, phys physically draining, all of that. You need people to jump, be there, I call mm -hmm. them my safety blanket, yeah. you need them around you. Yeah, that's why I ask and I do think, like you said, creating that network. I have some, my, my best friends at home, so, so different and I love them, but I've gone out and found, mm -hmm. actively found women with their own businesses that I can call friends now that we can have that in common, mm -hmm. you know, we, I can have those chats with them and I can have my kind of day-to-day, -day, like, girly stuff still with my best friends, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's, it's yeah, it, you really have to think about that network, I guess. Yeah, and you also need to have people that kind of understand it, right? Like, it's similar with international relationships, right? Like, I'm not from London, so it's like, it's nice to have Necessar not necessarily they don't have to be German, but it's nice to also have individuals that, that live in a different country. And similarly with businesses, like you don't know and you can't really get advice from other people if they haven't been through something similar. It doesn't have to be the same, but just like like you alluded to kind of this like yes mentality is like that would be the worst thing for me, right? Yeah. Like one of my one of my best friends, she is one of the most critical people of the work that I do and I need that yeah, yeah. because, you know, I don't want to have someone in, in, out there and kind of in the, in the world be like, this is absolute, you know, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. swear on this podcast but I'm like so it's great to have people that are both critical but also really supportive yeah. but it does take there was this whole thing of like you know you can you can choose you can't choose your family but you can choose your friends and I completely disagree with that because your your friends turn into your family yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's you know friends that have kind of become family as well mm. and going forward like my business is my baby, but who knows, like, knock on wood, um, in the future, right, when we all have, do have kids, like, those are going to be the ones that are active in our lives still, and so I think it's like, a, it's an active conscious decision, and it comes with a lot of grieving, too, in some circumstances, but it's something that I really value, and I'm really conscious of. And making sure that you look after them back. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> You mentioned scaling and you mentioned like outsourcing. Yeah, where do you see this business going? It's a it, that's a really interesting question because I think kind of to loop 
back a little bit to one of the mental challenges is every day I have this like existential crisis of like, oh my God, am I really doing the right thing? Is this really what I want to be doing in 10 years? Because if you have a full-time job, like you can quit it and you can go somewhere else, but like your business kind of, obviously I could always yeah, change my business, but yeah, or it dies. And so, and so one of the things actually I've become kind of aware of, and it's quite a, sort of, you know, quite personal what goes on in my mind. So I don't know if this really makes sense, but one of the things I've really been struggling with is as I'm doing more workshops, I'm kind of dropping into these big corporations. And what I'm interested in is cultural change. I'm interested in how do we change the way that we work? How do we change the way that we become more sustainable in the way that we work? It's kind of like doing a, a workout in, you know, heart zone five. You can't do that over five years, right? But you can go a long way in, in zone three. And kind of how do we create this sort of completely systemic change, really? I don't know if that's the right word there, but systematic change. Mm -hmm. And by kind of just coming in once a year or doing like one every couple of months, it's always different people. They're, you know, they're kind of meant to be there. Sometimes it kind of feels like HR is like checking their, their box. And the feedback's really great. And it's always wonderful if I get people at the end being like, oh my God, like I never even thought about it like that. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm teaching people to manage their stress and be more productive, which was part of my vision, but I'm not sure if I'm actually becoming part of the problem because a lot of the time people are interested in how can I cram in even more? And in this whole question of like, what do I want to do in the future? The vision has always been kind of the same. I want people to be able to realize they can create their own lives and kind of achieve what they, the life that they want to live. It's a very active process, but is what I'm currently doing really aligning with that? Or is it kind of playing into an industry that is just wanting to have people work even harder? And, and I, yeah, it's, it's something that's still very much in, like, in, in thought process. But as I, as I grow, the, the vision, as I mentioned earlier, was always to kind of be more of a holistic consultancy and have like people be able to like have a network and be able to refer to people around that. And what would you take a cut? Yeah, again, this is where I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure about the actual yeah. business model if it's commission-based, but there's a couple of really cool new businesses that kind of do like revenue sharing and things like that. So again, I haven't really figured out in detail about that, but as I'm kind of doing more research and, and thinking more about this kind of topic, I'm almost wondering if I, if it would be potentially like a, a product or like a digital product or like an actual separate business that really focuses on how do we change people's mindsets and how do we become, you know, we, we teach maths, we teach science, we teach hard skills now. Kids are learning how to develop, but nobody's talking, and I don't like the word, I need a new word, but like nobody's talking mental hygiene. Nobody's teaching individuals how to care, take care of themselves emotionally and mentally. We all have mental health, right? This yeah, is not it's everyone. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, how could I make research and a lot of these strategies accessible in a way that is very digestible and manageable and I, I was at a really interesting conference about two weeks ago that was talking about like the evolution of like AI and how you know 10 20 30 years on from now how the crossover between tech and humans how much we're going to be merging mm -hmm. and I just think like kids growing up nowadays we struggle with it enough but like what the impact of growing up relying literally everything on tech to think for mm -hmm. you, act for you, like what that's going to mean and like and services like yours coming in and just making sure that we, we still are human, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? And like and tapping into our like 
core human emotions and like just it really it really worries me I just really I just think God keep going <laughs> just keep making sure that we're looking after ourselves because yeah. it really bothers me that like even now one of the things pops up in so many of these interviews is like things like social media and the impact that has on mental health and I just think like what we what are we becoming do you know what I mean like I don't want to go off on a yeah. massive I could talk about it all day though because it really really genuinely worries me when people put social media as like or the in, in I guess any like any kind of tech thing the, the reliance of that you get that dopamine hit yeah. every time you something's doing well online or like and I just think god no we, we need to just look back and look after ourselves and think about how we connect on a human level do you know what I yeah. mean and, and like think about business coming from the human, yeah. like that human core and okay. that's something I'm, I'm like first of all I, I love humans right they're messy they make no sense everyone's kind of like but that's real and that yeah. and I love that right yeah. and that's why technology is an interesting one because kind of as you said it is like it's this like we're losing connection, we're losing touch mm. with kind of, you know, going to evolutionary psychology for a second, like we're innately social animals, like we're mammals, we're meant to be together, we, we thrive off of things like eye contact, and the phone can't do that, right? Mm. I think I'm not against technology at all, but like I do think that this whole sense of, okay, I can text five people at once is not actually genuine connection. It's not actually a genuine conversation. And like the fact that we don't even call each other anymore, right? Yeah. Like we forget, yeah. then like somebody calls now, I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah. Oh. Do I, do I, do I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know the number. Yeah, exactly. And like, but like my parents fell in love over the phone. Like they yeah. met each other once and then they were in two different places and they literally just fell, each, it fell in love with each other, yeah. hearing each other's voices. Yeah. And it's why I do all interviews face to face. Yeah. Like, and but I really, I guess I really notice it from a business perspective we're, we're going to come on to some advice for I guess so I want to pick your brains on it but at some of the mingles the messages I get about being nervous to network or being nervous to talk to people not knowing anyone and I just think don't get me wrong I can I completely I completely understand like that networking can be so intimidating but it's almost like it's so it is so much easier to network in inverted commas via social media now and it's just like I just want people to know that yes do that but never forget that human interaction is so damn important and practicing those skills and like yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you go to a concert and everyone's like, like we went to we went to a concert and like the guy next to us literally was recording every single song. Yeah. And I was kind of like, are you, you going to are you yeah. going to watch this all play yeah. by play? Like, like we create so much footage that we don't. And I, I'm so guilty of it, too. Right. Like I take a picture of almost everything. But it's one of those things where it's like we're all of a sudden doing everything through a screen and everything is kind of like curated to what are other people gonna like and think and you know there's this whole movement towards like people are now brands and influencers have their own like it's on message is this yeah. on brand is this on message and I think it becomes this really it's a it's a true addiction right mm -hmm. phone addiction is isn't a true addiction of like that panic of like where's you know where where's my phone can I even like yeah like we tried a digital detox weekend like we tried to do like phone and all of a sudden I was like oh my god I can't reach my parents I don't have a landline like yeah. should I buy like a an old phone like <laughs> the sense of like connection to ourselves and each other and in particular just like nature is something that we, I think so easy to forget and I know you kind of live really close by nature yeah. but, I need it it's yeah I just need I need air, open space. I need to go for a country run. I just mm -hmm. need to be. It, that's what calms me down. Yeah. Like 
outside, get the dogs, I'm done. Like, that's, that's my stress relief, 100%. Yeah. In terms of your advice, I would say that predominantly the She Can, She Did audience is 65-70% one girl bands, mm -hmm. work on their own, might have businesses of up to five, eight people. Mm -hmm. What is your advice for those female founders to like manage their day-to-day -day stress? Oh. No, no pressure, pressure at all. Well, there's a couple of things, two actually in particular that I, I always find really helpful. And I don't know if that's kind of more about managing stress, but just kind of how we interact. So I think one of the most powerful things that I've learned actually taking a step back is that we used to think that our we kind of get born and then we you know, we grow and our brains kind of stop and that's it. And actually we've realized that that's not true at all. And it's called neuroplasticity, which is just like a fancy word for saying that our brains essentially constantly are rewiring and getting the connections that we use on a day-to-day -day basis get stronger and the connections that we don't use get rid of, we get rid of it. Neuroplasticity. Yeah, neuroplasticity. Again, it's just a fancy word for yeah. essentially saying that. And the metaphor that is, is often used there is, you know, if you go through a field the first time, right, the first time you go through like grass, you don't see it. But the more often you go through that same path, the more likely you're allowed to like see, you're, you'll see that like patch of yeah, yeah. dirt essentially yeah. and that's oh, kind right. of how yeah the pathway and that's yeah. kind of how our brains are too and so there's some really really cool research around growth mindset versus fixed mindset and where essentially they look researchers looked at realized oh there's people with a fixed mindset and there's people with a growth mindset and individuals with a growth mindset they essentially see a challenge as something like oh I you know I don't know how to do this and like this is great I can I can do that whereas people with a fixed mindset are much more like oh well, like, that's it then yeah exactly and so Carol Dweck is the one who, who did this research for anyone who kind of she has an amazing book as well and what happened is a, another set of researchers took that and realized that individuals with fixed mindsets when they look at problems don't actually activate their brains and people that have a, a growth mindset are the ones that are like okay let's you know, let's tackle this. One of the reasons that this is so powerful is because all you can do is you can add the word yet. So I don't know how to do this, death sentence, right? It's like you're in the state of like helplessness. Whereas I don't know how to do this yet, you're activating your brain, you're completely changing the dialogue. So kind of the first piece of advice there is, I don't know how to do this yet. And you can also hold each other accountable. Like I do this with my fiance and it drives him crazy and he does it with me too, where it's like, you know, you say this like, oh, I just, I don't know how to do this. And you're like, yet, right? But like yeah, it completely yeah. changes. And it's something that when you realize that you're essentially retraining your brain, every challenge that you have is a way for you to rewire and re train your brain it's this amazing opportunity and that's why things are quite difficult initially because we've essentially just built these really strong pathways and then when you do something new it's more effortful but the more we do it the easier it becomes so, do you know what though you've just in the space of two minutes basically summarized what she can she did stands for because that's yeah. why i launched this it's mm -hmm. like yeah there's going to be challenges but like bring it on you know yeah and it's that if they can do it there's no reason why you can't just mm -hmm. tap into that work hard yeah like do the research, get through it. And, and kind of... Yeah, no, and that's... But that's why She Can, She Did is so amazing because we don't... Like you, you know, your, I think your founding story mentions, like you say, like, I didn't see individuals who did this and it's really difficult to do something when you don't see somebody represented, right? Like, especially women in small businesses, like, 
they're underrepresented. So this tapping into this growth mindset, having this understanding of like, right, I don't know how to do this yet, yeah, is sort of the, the first piece. And I mean, I could go on for days. But the other thing that is quite powerful is, is this to me is this idea that we hear this a lot now, right? It's like, are, you know, be careful what you think or like careful of your inner critic and all of this. And one of the things that I've, you know, a lot of the research shows is that, yeah, okay, a thought, you can say, oh, it's a thought, right? But actually, what is a thought? A thought is an impulse from your brain for the rest of your body to prepare it. If I told all of you I have a donut here, right, or whatever floats your boat, uh, your mouth might start a water, but like the reality of that donut having hit your lips hasn't actually occurred, but you might already salivate, you might already get ready for it. Yeah. And so when we have these thoughts... Now I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> I know. Thanks for that. <laughs> Sorry, I should have brought a donut. <laughs> but when we, you know, when you go into a meeting and you already have this like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's just a thought, quote unquote, but like actually what you're doing is you're preparing your body for a stress response. You're probably breathing uh, more shallow. You're, you know, probably physically bracing for impact. And so just understanding that the way that we perceive things and the way that we go into things actually cause a physical reaction because that's what our body is looking to and so something that's also quite powerful is just becoming aware of the mental narrative and you know we could do a whole podcast on inner critic but like just becoming aware of you know do you have a coach in your head that is like okay you got this let's go or do you have someone who's like like why are you doing this again right and like what is the voice that you want to have in your head and what is the reality that you want to I love that. I saw a hypnotherapist before the launch of the first Mingles because to me I had a, even though I'd done so, so much public speaking growing up, I had this inner voice saying, you're shit, boo, like you're not good at public speaking. And it was never that, I'd always get up there, I'd always be fine, and I'd always be told, you're, you're, I don't care what the problem is, you're so, like, you know, you, you can blah, blah, blah. And it for me, it was just the build-up to public speaking was so mm-hmm. stressful. I'd lose sleep, I'd sweat, I'd get so nervous, handshakes, everything. Because my brain was wired telling me constantly, over and over for about 10 years, that you're, you're not good at this. And I, she did a technique, is it BRWT? Or like where they rewire, they, they kind of rewire the message that your brain's mm-hmm. telling you. And I just think it's so powerful that kind of, I mean, in general, like a day-to-day basis, I'm kind of good at like telling myself I can do something. But that was one thing that was like constantly, you're you're not good at this thing, like over and over and over. And I remember before the mingles, I was like, I'm not letting this stop me launching these things. Mm-hmm. I want to get over this. And do you know what? Seeing her, I was so so cynical, but she tapped into that whatever she did. She worked her magic and basically replaced that thought process. So to me now. If someone said public speaking to me a year and a half ago, I'd instantly think, within a split second, I hate it, your shit, etc, 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 all of the variations of that. And now, she asked, you know, how I want to feel when someone says public speaking, and without thinking, my brain now tells me, I'm calm, I've got this, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. Like, it does, I don't, and it's, that has then impacted all the physical stuff, so that rewiring pattern Mm -hmm. now means that I'm 
I don't no longer get the shakes, I'm not, I don't lose sleep, I'm so much calmer. And I just think, God, like, go back to your advice. That the messages your brain sends you about anything you apply is just so powerful. And mm -hmm. it's just crazy what an impact, like, kind of getting a hold of your thoughts can have on anything you set your mind to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just, I'm just so, like, the brain's so crazy. The, and the, so this amazing. is right, you know, like, the brain's so awesome. Like, I can, I can, it's it's all I do, right, essentially. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it's, it's so cool. And it's, it's one of the things where it's, like, you know, we... There's a lot of like, oh, I have a lot of negative self-talk or there's an inner critic and everyone has that. And kind of the takeaway there is like, we're in control of that, right? We can say no. Like you can literally be like, no. Yeah. Or you can- like, shut up, Julia. Like, yeah. Actually great. <laughs> or like, you know, like I, something that really helps is giving your inner critic a name, right? So it can be critical Charlie or ne negative Nancy or like me, like my really negative self is called Debbie. And I apologize if there's any <laughs> Debbies around there. But like literally, like when Debbie comes to visit, like my fiance will, I'll say something and and he'll literally be like, okay, Debbie, like, you're not welcome here. And like, we kind of have this like yeah, fun that. way of playing yeah. with it, but it's not me. It doesn't own me, right? It yeah. is It is a, t a part of my personality that to me is like one of those things where it's like, she deeply cares about my well-being and she deeply cares about, you know, the inner critic doesn't care if you fulfill your potential. It doesn't care if you do all your dreams. It sits like right by your comfort zone. It's like that yappy little dog that like is tiny. But, yeah, but just like <laughs> da, da 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 right? And so if you hear your inner critic, it's amazing because you're leaving your comfort zone, right? And it's one of those things that just concerns about your well-being. And so one of the things I also do in my workshops is give it a name. And then whenever it comes up, acknowledge it, right? Because it's like a little kid. It's like, oh my God, no, like we're scared about this, this, and this, and this. And you're like, I hear you. Thank you, but I've got this. Yeah, yeah, box it. And just having that that dialogue of like, okay. I love that. I'm yeah. just trying to think like, why won't mine to be cool? That's going to be Susan again. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Susan. Yeah, Sarah Susan. <laughs> right, I love that. But let's round up with some statements and bring this all to an end. I'm, by the way, I'm not going to forget this episode. I just feel like that last 20 minutes, I'm just like, lesson. My brain is just feeling like, whew. Right, I start, you finish, if that's yeah. okay with you. Being my own boss means... Freedom and self-expression. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to... Have the emotional response and then roll up your sleeves and have a plan of attack. Just being okay with having that emotional response in the first place, yeah. but then getting on with it. If I had to describe myself as a businesswoman, I would say that I am. Determined, headstrong, and attention to detail. Mm, yeah. If I could go back to day one of my business, I would tell myself. To trust my gut. Oh, massively. Yeah. So important. There's so many things I just rationalized myself into where I didn't have a good feeling and I was like, no, I need the money, the experience, and it always turned out. Because yeah, yeah. there's so many things that we like, you know, we only really know 10% of what's going on and there's our subconscious is so powerful being like, ah, oh, no, but we're like, no, 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 let's do this, right? You'd like yeah, talk yourself yeah. into it. But it always knows best. It's yeah, it always. Sure. It just, yeah, again, it's so fascinating. And very lastly, I want my legacy to be that. Oh. You said you want it to be bigger than you. Yeah, but I think the legacy that I want to leave, and maybe kind of leaving on like a fluffy note here, but I really want people to realize that they can live and create the lives that they really want to live. Mm. And they have that power. Yeah, massively. But it's, it's fluffy, yeah. I'm not going to, like, yeah. But it's also so true. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they're... I've always, you know, people can roll their eyes at a good cheesy quote or a cheesy saying, but that is literally so true. And I just think that should never be forgotten. Yeah. 
definitely not. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Very good. <laughs> thank you for listening to She Can, She Did. If you fancy being a complete star and doing your good deed for the day, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the She Can, She Did series a little boost and help others to find it. You can also attend the Midweek Mingles, the She Can, She Did event series for female founders and aspiring female business owners, featuring a whole lot of business inspiration and the all-important GNTs in equal measure. For more information and to book your ticket, head to www.shecanshedid.com. I would love to see you there. <laughs>